Welcome back to Womance. Every week, we do an episode around a theme. This week's theme, dirty dishes and the end of a marriage. Thank you, Terry Gross. Uh, Ira Glass. That was, <laughs> that was uh, this American Life reference. Oh, do we sounded ne- very, that was do you want to do you want to start recording over again so no one takes away your white liberal card for mixing those two up (laughs) no because i think terry gross and ira glass and dare i say sarah koenig all come out of the same school of slow talking npr yeah so uh welcome to a wonus so this week we are actually going to talk about an article that was in the atlantic which is called uh, the Marriage Lesson That I Learned Too Late by Matthew Frey. And Isabeau reached out and said, I think we should talk about this for the podcast. Um, so I then read the article. And I'm really curious to see where this is going. So <laughs> as uh, as an introduction, if you're not going to go and read the article, which it's pretty short. And we'll link it in the episode notes. I don't know how we'll do that, but we'll try. <laughs> Let's not make those episode notes promises. It's been a while. We cannot include URLs in our episode notes. But uh yeah, so he wrote a book called This Is How Your Marriage Ends, A Hopeful Approach to Saving Relationships. Um, but this article is in the perspective of discussing why his own marriage ended through the lens of exploring this kind of recurring fight that all relation- long-term relationships end up with. And in his case, it was leaving dishes by the sink, um, which was an incredibly unimportant thing to him, but was very important to his wife. Uh, and this article is kind of him going on a post-mortem journey to realize why it was important to his wife and why his and how it's, you know, not petty. It actually is a very meaningful request, why it's a meaningful request um, and how these kind of little seemingly petty things can add up. Uh, or be kind of a lens through which we can understand our partner better and seek opportunities to um, show affection without using it in the, without going through the typical avenues of showing affection. Um, And one thing I will say is that it is very clearly written by a cis het man. But Isabeau, I'm curious why um, this article you feel resonates with romance novels and romance landia. I agree that this was easily discerned as being written by a cishet man. Uh, the tagline is, the existence of love, trust, respect, and safety in a relationship is often dependent on moments you might write off as petty disagreements. And <laughs> I read that tagline and I was like, oh, It's like a romance hero, especially in a contemporary romance, who's just had like a big reveal in his own life where he's like, oh, wait, I didn't understand that you were doing all of this emotional labor. And now I do. And now I got to go fix it. And like the tenor felt so romance hero coming to Jesus that I wanted you to read it so we could talk about it. Can you tell me why you feel like the tone and tenor aligns with a romance hero having their kind of moment of clarity? Absolutely. One of the things that he does is he explains his side of the argument first, 
which is to say that he left his dishes and like <laughs> it's also potentially that this is one of my big pet peeves so I identified very hard with this like very absent woman that he has wronged but the leaving of the dish next to the sink not in the sink or in the dishwasher as like this whole thing that is upsetting to his wife and he's like what if I want to use it again or like I'll wash it when I'm done like okay those are not illogical or unrational reasons <laughs> to leave a dish not in the sink or in the dishwasher but next to and just like this need to explain self before then looking at other mm. felt very much like the space where romance heroes have that like immense interiority usually around the apex of act three maybe act four and they're like this is what I think. Oh, wait. Other people also have thoughts. And for The Atlantic to run an article that feels, I don't know, it was like one of those things where it's like, why is this relevatory? Like, this is something that women have been saying in articles like The Atlantic for decades and very recently in the pandemic. So then this got a lot of traction on Twitter. Like, they also ran it in The New York Times. I was like, why is it from the male perspective that it gets this kind of traction? Thinking about it in the way of being similar to a male main character kind of coming to a realization that other people exist. I want to ask more questions about that, but I would say like first impressions, my response is yes in that a lot of people read romances for the mea culpa, and this is one of those really good apologies, right? Um, and I think it's a lot more palatable circumstantially as crazy as this is to say, then, for example, Dan Harmon's apology for sexually harassing his employee. Absolutely. Because tearing apart a relationship, though, because of your own, and he admits this selfishness and the fact that you cared more about being right than making your significant other happy, is also very, very bad. Mm -hmm. But I think we don't have that cultural perspective, that that's also a mean, a mean thing to do to another person, a cruel thing, an awesome, and, you know, ultimately a world shaking thing, um, which would be why his wife sought a divorce, like exhibit A. The other thing I will, and so I think like this functions as a really good mea culpa that is more aligned with like someone saying, I love you, I'm sorry, instead of like, I'm a bastard, I'm sorry, and leaving it at that. Mm -hmm. it's I'm a bastard I love you I'm sorry although I don't think he thinks of himself that way and I don't think he ever like presents himself as a bastard I'm that's my very strong reading for the purposes of like making the point right me coming with my perspective I'm like oh yeah so what you're describing is the ways in which you were a dick I think that's so important and such a good point because the other thing about like starting with his rationalization about the dish and like why it's not a big deal, he refers to it as it wasn't committing a major marriage crime. Mm -hmm. It's not infidelity. It's not abuse. It's not you know, racking up thousands of dollars in gambling debt or whatever. Right. Those are his three, which I think are, yeah, I would say yeah. those are the three, the three big ones. Outside of the actual regular crimes. Right. Those are big marriage crimes, uh, for sure. But this idea that, like, 
as you just so beautifully put it, that it is mean to want to be right more than it is to like seek what to seek to understand. And so the other way that this feels like a mea culpa, but also like this male main character finding his way into a discussion of female labor the fact that it was so surprising to him also rang true for me in romance where it's like one of the things that we show up to in this is is the mea culpa but also that idea of like being seen and here only in the absence when his wife has filed for divorce does he finally see her point of view and it's in that moment where he has lost the relationship which is like okay where he finally does the work to understand the other person and truly see where they were coming from and understand the other side of the fight and I think in romance that happens and then there's the reconciliation like you know they finally talk to each other and say I understand you I understand where you're coming from I love you I'm sorry and this just doesn't have that reconciliation but otherwise, like, this is 100% the beginning of a second chance romance, which is also how it feels. The one thing I will say, though, that kind of differentiates this and I think makes me... So the first the first thing I want to draw on is the fact that in romance, there is not a plot line that hinges on the fight, right? Like, even though there are rom- set lo- second chance romances, right? Whenever there's a second chance romance, he's done something like had an affair mm-hmm. or just like abandoned his family. Even though like a second chance romance could as likely form from something like a normal divorce around the big fight leading up to or the fight becoming like the end, right? <clears throat> like we don't tell those stories in romance. We tell stories of big marriage crimes or big actual crimes or big stakes right there's always something very dramatic and if it is internal to the relationship between our two main characters then it comes from some sort of trauma inner trauma right and so whatever actions the male hero takes the male main character takes he is doing them as a result of someone else kind of something else bad happening to him and therefore he is always sympathetic right he's always a sympathetic character even while he's doing the bad thing so even before he comes to the mea culpa because we as the readers have been in his perspective and understand his trauma and his reasons why and that way I think it feels very different from a romance but I wouldn't say that like Maybe the reason this doesn't exist in romance is because the people who write romance also don't feel entitled to be upset about a dish by the sink and also don't want to believe that the reason why the dish is always by the sink is simply because the person that they're married to is selfish Hmm. and does have a narrow view that might be influenced by gender politics. Certainly. And the invisible labor that heterosexual women in relationships with cishet men are constantly performing. That contrast, right, that gully (laughs) between a dish by the sink and, you know, to speak of a book we're going to talk about coming up soon, like a betrayal by a lover that caused a famed highwayman to lose hearing in one ear and get all of these newfound disabilities that 
make it impossible for him to be the person he wants to be, right? Like the gully between that is significant, but I think the more important gully is between leaving the dish by the sink because you're selfish and not expressing to someone that you love them because of your big secret trauma. But like, that's the one that I think is the most heartbreaking because what I think there's a lot of value to this article because it is from a cis het man's perspective. And what I love about it is he admits to it, um, clearly states it, um, a dish by the sink in no way feels painful or disrespectful to a spouse who wakes up every day and experiences a marriage partner who communicates in both word and action how important and cherished their spouse and relationship are. That makes me think of the fact that, you know, a pattern in romance novels is a hero who thinks very verbosely about how much he loves our female main character and he doesn't say it. And then the end of the book, the reconciliation is him just saying like, I love you, marry me. And that's supposed to encapsulate all of the things that he's been thinking. And then at the end of the article, he writes, I could have communicated my love and respect for her by not leaving tiny reminders for her each day that she wasn't considered, that she wasn't remembered, that she wasn't respected. And that's what I think is... The thing that we feel when we come to these arguments, I'm not considered, I'm not remembered, I'm not respected. And he doesn't say that she felt like she wasn't remembered, that she felt like she wasn't respected. He says that she wasn't. It would be incredibly difficult to stay with someone if you knew for sure if they had laid out in clear terms, you are not remembered, you are not considered, you are not respected. And so you come up with reasons in your head for why they're leaving the dish by the sink, usually having to do with their mother, I think. And that's why we get mother-in-law jokes. But the, the, and that feels like a really easy, and that's like the pipeline to um, is a secret dragon, <laughs> like hero trauma and reason why they aren't kind. And so I think that's interesting I want to give you time if you have any response to that before I ask my second question for you. (laughs) Absolutely. I think the gully that you identified is right, which is why I say that this article feels much more like a contemporary romance hero than I would a historical romance hero. Specifically, this article reminded me of a book that we didn't read for the podcast because I knew both of us would hate it and we don't ever seek out books that we would hate. But for those people who are curious, it's the first book in the Bromance Book Club. And the big thing there is that he isn't considering his wife, who's just had twins. And we find out in the beginning that they're they're going to get divorced. She wants to file for divorce. And he feels really betrayed by her because they've been having sex for, I think at this point in the novel, like, I don't know, 18 months after the babies were born. And she has been faking orgasms and he feels really betrayed by that and it takes him until (laughs) basically the end of the book to finally figure out like why would she feel like she had to lie and this kind of discussion about she wasn't considered she wasn't thought of like in all of the thousand small ways that actually add up to a life like what are you doing today is the thing that you're doing with your life and for this article to do this 
real, as you said earlier in the podcast, like this postmortem, but also like this micro postmortem of this like very particular small fight that then can be analogized to the rest of the ways in which he wasn't a good partner. And yeah, it's a lens. Yeah, exactly. It's a lens. And I feel like that happens in contemporary romances more where you can't have the thing be the highwayman or the secret duke or something like that, right? Where it's like all of the ways in which the relationship is facing an obstacle, a lot of them are internal in contemporary romance. And this one feels like the obstacle is patriarchy, (laughs) Or the division of labor. I, I think you're right. Roma- contemporary romance deals much more with um, internal conflict. Well, I don't know. I think external pressures are for sure at play. But I do still think, like, there. I, I have, have having said I haven't read the Bromance Book Club, in my memory of the contemporary romances I've read, there is still something of like a why, some kind of trauma beyond the fact that like he is a man and he was socialized to not consider you, to not think of you and to not respect you. Mm-hmm. And I kind of hesitate to like, I think for sure romance is a place where we reconcile the patriarchy, but I also think it's a place where we maybe come to forgive the patriarchy. And one of the ways we do that is by saying the patriarchy instead of saying this one man who can make a different choice, who can become conscientious of me as a human being rather than me as a woman. And I think this this article here, when held up as a yardstick in this conversation against romance, demonstrates that. Oh, I don't think it's against romance. I think it's doing the things that like, and I think you're right. To- no, I mean like next to. <laughs> I should have said when held up as a yardstick next to romance, when they're put side by side, I think that's one of the things it demonstrates. I think it's interesting because I absolutely 100,000% agree with you that romance does a really interesting two-step that often does forgive patriarchy. I think it's interesting that you've signaled like that this one man could be better because I think that's also part of the fantasy of forgiveness because like patriarchy is a system and so yeah, one man coming to value his partner as partner rather than like gendered being is good but it like you know like that's not how systems are broken and without like moving the needle further and so like in some ways I guess the traction of this article is doing more that's what I'm saying is like I don't think this is about patriarchy really like I think we think about like I'm saying like maybe romance isn't about doing anything systemic, right? And we talk about that often. Like this is not like systemic work that's happening in romance novels. Dismantling the patriarchy starts at home. Okay. <laughs> it also like requires more than that. But what I'm saying is is like I see in this article someone becoming conscientious of some really clear and really hard facts about how they've been socially conditioned and choosing to be conscientious about it. And choosing that way forward for themselves to make their world and maybe a future partner's world better. While that's not dismantling a system, that is improving the life of at least one woman, right? What's happening in romance is outside of maybe Joanna Lindsay and like actual bodice rippers, 
I think in bodice rippers, we do see someone who sees, who does not see their, we see male main characters who do not see their counterparts as human or equal to them. Mm -hmm. And then over the course of the novel becomes maybe not equal, but more equal, (laughs) less unequal, right? They see at least the person. Um, if not the human being. And I think contemporary romance, I haven't seen a lot of examples of this, like very clearly stating the obstacle in the relationship is that one was raised to be a man and the other one was raised to be a woman. And because of that, like it's always, and I think it really can be that simple, but I think romance tends to be like, because he was raised with an abusive father and an absentee mother. Mm-hmm. And because... Because he had to take care of his seven siblings before he graduated high school. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like, he, he ha- there has to be some, some reason for them to be a bad person or someone who needs reconciliation outside of the fact that they are simply living in this bizarre bubble that they get to live in because of their being cis men and white men for the most part. But I want to ask you, you refer to labor and I didn't see him, I I didn't pick up on that. And so I was wondering where you picked up domestic labor, female labor, emotional labor. Oh, just the fact that the reason my marriage fell apart seems absurd when I describe it. My wife left me because sometimes I leave dishes by the sink because the thing that she's asking him to do in the consideration of like either put it in the sink or put it in the dishwasher is moving that needle where it's like, this is just one more thing I have to clean. And I read the New York Times article about this too, which gets a little bit more into this because then it got into a further discussion of like, I didn't see the house as dirty as she did. And so like, then it's like sweeping and stuff like that, where it's like, he never took the time to investigate his surroundings the way that she was describing it and just immediately was like it's not that bad or I have my reasons for not vacuuming on a Saturday and so like that's where this move of consideration and care and like understanding the already invisible labor that your partner is doing came into the article for me Because like throwing laundry on the floor, tracking mud through the house after your partner had just cleaned up, it doesn't matter what the actual thing is. For us, it was dishes by the sink. And like all of the things that he's listing are chores, (laughs) right? Like it's like the adding of labor unconsciously, non-maliciously, but the malicious act is not taking into account the partner. I I didn't read the New York was it New York Times? Yeah. I, I just read the Atlantic version. And one of the things I thought was interesting, or I was thinking about was interesting when you started pointing out labor and I started trying to, I was like, okay, where is that? Is the fact that the the closest it gets to depicting her doing something for him is when it talks about tracking in mud, right? Like someone can leave laundry on the floor and you can tell them to pick it up. And someone can leave and then they do. And they're grumpy about it and they don't know why they have to do it and they're resentful that they're being asked to pick up the laundry right I guess I appreciate the fact that this article is really focused on what it like the labor itself I think you know isn't isn't the thing I think it's that the other person isn't doing the labor 
because she could have just as easily like ignored the glass by the sink like he did right and just let it sit it was important to her so she didn't but and she pointed she at least pointed it out to him and had him take care of it if not putting it in the dishwasher herself but we don't know that we just know the Mm -hmm. the fact that he left a glass by the sink period and I think like focusing on that is is something I haven't seen. I, I was kind of weary when you recommended this article that it was going to be another thing that's like the division of labor in the household. You need to have a chore wheel so that a man can like do what he needs to do. I mean, these are actual pieces of advice. And like these are things that mm-hmm. marriage counselors will recommend between two adults. And there are times I, to be perfectly vulnerable, there are times in my relationship where I'm like, do I need to implement a chore wheel for the fellow adult in my life because I'm feeling overwhelmed by what's going on here? And I think a lot of people have been in that position. And so not to knock that, but I'm just like a little tired of that argument that, you know, somehow if we divide the labor equally, everything else is going to shake out. But if you're telling another adult, this is what I need, and they still don't respect you, and they can't think to do things without just for your sake, just because there's a chore wheel, and they aren't considering you, right, because they have to have some kind of reference point, they have to be told to do something, that seems pretty meaningless to me. Right, because it makes you your, their manager. It makes you the person who has to delegate, which is also what they call the mental load. I wanted to read this article with you because I knew you'd help me think about it. And one of the things that felt revelatory <laughs> about this is that he refers to that thing that you're talking about as it wouldn't have been the first time I acted entitled. What I know for sure is that I had never connected putting a dish in the dishwasher with earning my wife's respect. And it's those terms like that he is entitled Mm -hmm. not only to do the thing that his wife is asking him not to do, but he's entitled not to think about why she's asking him to do it, take her reasons as valid. Like his rationalizations are not like they're they're the only default in this encapsulation and I think what made me think of this is like it's a romantic hero coming to terms is that thing right like that move from I didn't I understood myself as a rational being and the person talking to me asking for respect as being irrational because like me leaving a dish isn't about respect right and then this move to be like oh shit I feel entitled entirely to my point of view without ever having to consider this other person yeah and it it was that move and I had never I guess in all of the articles that I have also read about chore wheels and division of labor and heterosexual relationships none of it ever lands as selfishness or entitlement but that's a hundred percent how it feels and so to have a man be like yeah, no, it, it is that. You were right to feel that way is like, oh. <laughs> yeah. Well, what this another thing that this article is kind of shining a light on for me is that it's when we first started reading romance, you told me my favorite part is the apology. And I was like, I don't get that, you know, and but that's a very common thread. And that's something like I've come to appreciate. I don't know if it was like making me uncomfortable the apology 
I should probably self-interrogate a little bit more about how I've come to appreciate them. Is it me? Is it like what's going on in my life outside of reading these books? Is it these books? It's probably all of it. It's probably more complex. But you know what I mean? Like what's bringing me around on that? But I think the thing and like we talk about how a really good apology in a romance novel feels like everyone you know personally and everything that has structurally wronged you, self-acknowledging and apologizing. And that's why the mea culpa is so beloved in romance, more so than the, like the HEA is actually apologia, right? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Two things. I think what is really hard about living in a world where there's so much inequality and so much oppression and it's really hard as a white woman specifically is feeling like you have to keep going like there's always something else around the corner and like there's not really you start looking for ways to self-soothe i do this thing then things will be better but actually no they're only they only make me feel better they're not actually making anything better What's great about an apology is that it opens up the opportunity to forgive and move on, which is something that Andrea Dworkin, problematic, <laughs> but she wrote uh, at the end of Roe was passed, we cannot stop to celebrate. If we stop to celebrate, they'll gain track. I think her specific one was like, they will say porn is good for us and we will believe them will be the next thing. If we stop fighting all of this, if we stop to celebrate. And I think especially as white women, we have a tendency to be like, boy, good for us. This is done. You know, this is fine. Here we go. This is secure. This is my worldview as, you know, the kind of oppressed people that we are, which is under the duvet cover oppressed. And, you know, the idea of being able to just forgive and move on sounds really good. The other part that this article has shined a light on for me when thinking about like structure and pattern in romance novels, which is to say not every romance novel, but the way romance novels live in my imagination and I would say the collective imagination, um, because while I have more reference points, I don't think I've changed in an overall positive view of it. I wouldn't say I've like super changed or anything. I would say like the fact that we want there to be a reason that the male figure we're attracted to and in love with is cruel. We want a reason that's external to them. We want a trauma. We want to be able to say, this is an if-then statement. This isn't just who they are and their worldview. Because we have this idea that like, if we can, trauma is something we can like, Accept heal is something we can heal exactly and <laughs> i think this person's so cle clearly stating out loud saying the quiet part out loud about what it's like to be a man in a heterosexual relationship or probably just a man in a heteronormative relationship um, because that's also something to consider saying that quiet part out loud reveals that it doesn't matter if you I'm, I'm going to make a lot of historical romance references. I'm going to try to think of some contemporary ones. If you were bullied in school, right? Oh, shit. <laughs> if you were, if you had a bad father, right? If your mom never wanted you. Those aren't the things that make you a misogynist. 
they're not. And the thing that you do where you leave the dish by the sink, even though someone you ostensibly care about enough to marry, to yoke your life to, has asked you not to, is is misogyny. <laughs> yeah, it's, a, it's the entitlement. I'm entitled to my point of view and your point of view doesn't have to be considered because this is rational. And he also points out in the article, like, you have to believe, like, he didn't understand why she didn't realize something as petty as a glass by the sink it would matter over the course of a lifetime if he could just put it into perspective for her. And I think the fact that we don't see or I haven't met in my travels a male main character who just leaves the glass by the sink also tells me that people writing romance novels don't understand that or don't think that that's legible or dramatic enough. But that tells me that so many of us are suffering in that way and don't feel entitled to that suffering and to call it suffering. But it is. It's suffering. Yeah, because what you do every day is your life. Right, exactly. But also, like, he's right. That dirty dish by the sink is bigger than just leaving a dish by the sink. And if his wife had felt a different way about her day to day, if she had felt secure, if she'd felt respected in other ways, that probably wouldn't have been a big deal to her. Right. But this was just one of many Mm -hmm. and the one she could point to. I think it's really right because I think it's crazy that we have this many articles in the zeitgeist describing this problem. There was a big book that came out uh, right before the pandemic called Rage about particularly white educated upper class women who still don't have equality in their heterosexual partnerships and like why is that like why is it that like ostensibly feminist men who ostensibly love their partners can't seem to get it together and I I understand your wariness of both those like think pieces but I think it's also really right that it hasn't like this kind of daily entitlement, this kind of daily erasure, this kind of suffering, as you call it, and I'll agree with that terminology, hasn't entered romance. I don't like I don't want to psychoanalyze the authors, but I think it's because it doesn't it's like the the it's quotidian. It's it's the suffering of the everyday. It's the mundane. And like there is this idea, I think, that romance has to blow something up so you see it better. And I think this article really proves that you don't have to blow it up to see it better. You just have to see it better. I think it would be really hard for a lot of people to admit outside of their relationship. <laughs> My husband refusing to take off his shoes when he comes into the house means that he doesn't respect me. Yeah. That's hard to say. That's hard. It's hard to say in a complete sentence, my husband does not respect me. And here's tangible evidence that I see almost every day. I think that's really hard. And I think it would be incredibly hard to write about something like that and to say this person doesn't need to heal trauma. They need to become a different person. You know, they need to do like endless, endless habitual emotional and psychological labor. Like to change your worldview, to change the water that you swim in, you have to do endless habitual labor. And you know what? Honest to God, what's ro- what's more romantic than that? 
I would say a lot of things. Like the idea that you could just do one thing, that you could say one thing and it's resolved. And I think that's what romance does. It gives us a fantasy. If my part, something will click for the person I'm with Mm -hmm. and then everything will fall into place. And then I can forgive them. And then I can forgive also probably, you know, like I think this is like, yeah, I think this is the weaking kind of like shimmying, shimmering idea around it, which is like, if I can, if this one person can do that, then I can, my personal life will be improved as such that I can move on. And I really, I long to move on. (laughs) So I understand that. When you described an like the apology and like the pleasure of it as not just one person, but like the entire structure of your world acknowledging your hurt and like yeah making a mea culpa for it, like I actually felt pleasure tingle down my spine as you described it. <laughs> I was like, yeah. oh my god, how good would it feel to have everyone and everything that's wronged me acknowledge that it has and then make a decent apology for it so that I could move on like this idea that like a this one apology stands in for many Mm -hmm. and is like the most important one that then cracks the egg open that then like allows your shoulders to disengage from your earlobes is a true pleasure and so while I didn't find reading this article pleasurable (laughs) I did find it illuminating I did find reading it pleasurable I'm glad (laughs) because it did so much that I was like it didn't do any of the things I was scared it was gonna do like I was scared it was going to pity the woman I was scared it was going to be one of those like chore wheel things where it's like, instead of actual physical labor, here's how you can transfer that to emotional labor. And then eventually it'll just be psychological labor. Um, but then he'll probably be dead. Uh, but the laundry will, he'll fold the laundry two days a week or something along the way. I have been wanting someone to admit it's because I don't think of them. It's because I don't respect them. It's because I don't consider them because I've always felt that way and I've always articulated that and and no one has admitted to it yet. (laughs) And so just seeing one person admit to it uh, was pretty satisfying. The former missus is a very lucky woman. I hope she does not take him back, but I hope she reads it. She's like, do you know what would suck though? If you got that. If you got that, like, you know, and then they got all the accolades, like he's getting featured in um, the Atlantic, the New York Times. He's getting a book published. He's also a part of something called the Good Man Project. So like it's never ending. Like that just goes to show like even like in the real world, even when you get the apology, like it's never going to just be like, you know, it's never going to be justice. Like, you can get an apology, but I don't think you can get justice. Yeah, she becomes the footnote in his growth. Yeah. But, you know. I don't know. Maybe she's a big deal in her own right. I hope so. <laughs> he doesn't He doesn't name her. 
So that's like protecting her privacy and the privacy of the child they share. Thank you so much for reading this with me. It's really easy to find who his ex-wife is. Oh, okay. I didn't even <laughs> because try. Because we live in the internet age. So while I appreciate the gesture of him not including her name in the article, it's nothing more than a gesture. I just want to say that. He could have just like not written a book about it. He could have like, and maybe he did like sit across from her and say this. But I think it's bitching how he's profiting off it now. <laughs> You ride your growth all the way. And hopefully, you know, some other folks are going to read it and think about their own entitlement and their worldviews and begin the long habitual labor. And as frustrating as that conclusion is, I know I can go and read a romance novel and be unfrustrated by the conclusion and feel like everything has worked out. Oh my god, am I coming around on the HEA? I hope not because like I've I've got a series of planned bonuses about that. And like if we don't... (laughs) i just fucked our content we'll see it's complicated it's a stew right like and not every hea is the same anything else we want to say i'm done unless you say something incredibly triggering no (laughs) me isabeau (laughs) no i really do appreciate you reading this article with me though and having a fun talk about it yeah it was a blast uh Without loosening your woes. But never your nusses. Mwah! Woli guacamole, everyone! Thanks for listening to another episode of Womance. Womance is hosted, produced, and edited by my friend Morgan. And by my friend Isabel. Our logo artwork is by another friend, Mary Reichman. You can find her on Instagram at m.reichman, spelled R-E-I-S-C-H-M-A-N-N. Original music by Nick Gravelin. And our webmistress is Jane Bonsack. They're the best. You're also the best. We so appreciate your support by listening. Please consider taking this to the next level by following, rating, and reviewing. We read every single review. Or even check us out on Patreon. If you'd like more woe in your life, you can connect with us on Instagram at Womance and on Twitter where we are at mans underscore woe. Or you can find more episodes and content at womancepodcast.com. If you have an idea or just want to reach out, please email womancemail at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Womance is a part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts to add to your romance collection at frolic.media backslash podcasts. Until next time. <laughs>